0: Healthcare was hit by the same social distancing rules as every other industry. You could not have a bunch of people in a place together, in the way that you could before. But the need for healthcare is not going away, and so the attention was turned to these things that were that were being built anyway uh, to accelerate them. And and you know, I mean, for us, our case in point was one of our largest customers did a 10x expansion in in one month. <laughs>
1: We got uh, Bology from MedStack here today with us. Bology, thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you very much, Ravi. Happy to be here.
1: Yeah. So MedStack, your company, I've heard uh, so much about it. You know, we, I've worked with a lot of uh, med tech, med tech companies, and you guys are really like the the standard service for a lot of companies to use to get started up and running. Um, you know, I've talked to a few companies. Um, right off, like right off the top of my mind is um, is Snap Smile. It's a dental healthcare platform, and really? These guys, young team, right? Super young, yeah. um, most of the team is still in university. And they're able to launch this like uh, platform for um, dentists with MedStack. So I'm really interested in hearing about the story of MedStack uh, from your perspective, how you guys started and how it came to be. So Balaji, how do, how do, where did MedStack come from?
0: Uh, yeah, it's, it's, always a, it's always fun to kind of start there. Uh, I think some of the best companies in the world um, or, or those that are at least most interesting and have the best stories come about because of uh, a merging of backgrounds of the founders. And, and, you know, we're no exception to that rule. Um, we uh, started about six years ago, although we like to think of ourselves as kind of more of a two year old company mm-hmm. in the sense that we did a pretty big reinvention of ourselves about a year and a half ago, uh, two years ago. Uh, but the idea for the company came about from the fact that I've had this long-standing fascination with the notion of platform businesses and platform is a word that's tremendously overused. But the way I think about it is a platform is a piece of technology that helps two other organizations work better together. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in other words, it's technology that somebody incorporates so that they can have a more effective offer. And, and you know the, the way you can think about platform strategy is all of these separate entities which have no relationship with each other all have things they need to do to be able to be successful. And the things they have to do are a combination of things that are unique to them. Um, looking at the sort of traditional value proposition statement of you know what does the market want? How are they doing it today? What do I have that can help them do it better and things they just have to do? Um, and and uh, and so in that list is is a whole set of really interesting companies and historical technologies. Uh, so I found this business model to be really, really fascinating. It's it's a lot of fun. It's kind of not for everybody. Mm because you have to accept sort of being in the background, but you get a tremendous amount of satisfaction by the story of innovation that you tend to drive. And, and I've done this at a, at a number of different companies. Um, actually, initially kind of getting into platform strategy, not even in software, but in, in, even in manufacturing, which is kind of where my original sort of career started, uh, looking at the idea of how different companies actually build different parts of a product. I was actually working on airplanes and how they put them together to build something greater than the sum of its whole. But this idea is, has been this sort of enabler in software for uh, a large amount of time, and the most interesting thing about it is that it, it's very powerful for the transformation of legacy industries more than anything else: financial services, government processes, the energy grid, education, and healthcare. It's, it's always kind of those five things, right? Um, so I had been bouncing around as as platform lead in a few different companies uh, at the same time. I was a, a mentor and educator in, in product management, which is kind of where I come from. And and I think about everything that I do from a product lens. But I just felt like what I was learning was there was something bigger I could do with it. And I met my co-founder through an interesting set of random circumstances. Uh, and he was running his second company at the time, which was an, uh, a digital agency that was mm-hmm. building healthcare apps. And he presented this idea to me. And, and what I like to tell people is that. My reaction to him was kind of like a lot of the reaction I get now, which is, you've got to be kidding me. Like There's no platform that does this. And he said, no, all of these companies end up with this massive cost and uh, delay in schedule and effort that's outside of the scope of why they created the company and the things that make them unique, that they have to do, Um, and they're measured on it. They're measured on exclusively that thing before they can be measured on almost anything else. And they all have to deal with it and uh, and, and they do it independently. And, and I was really shocked. Um, so shocked, in fact, that I said the first thing we need to do is validate your hypothesis. So we talked to a whole bunch of founders very much at the at the early stages, very much like the guys at, at Snap SnapSmile um, and said, you know, you're building digital health. What's the main of your existence? And they all said, hey, you know, we built this company because we got to focus on the user experience we're trying to build for the patients and the, and the providers. Uh, on the medical science that we're trying to operationalize in a product. And we may be having a data play as well. And so, you know, how big is your department that does infrastructure security? Mm-hmm. Well, well, we don't have one. And this is the problem as every time we sell, we're faced with all these questions. And uh, and then we said, OK, so that's that's the one side of the problem. But because we're a platform, we have to think about both sides of the problem. So then we would talk to the heads of innovation at a number of um, hospitals and insurance companies. And they all said, there's this perception that you know we're kind of afraid of tech. Mm-hmm. We understand that people think that. It's not true because the biggest challenge in healthcare is be able to deliver quality care over longer periods of time that are more DNA enabled and are connected across multiple people in the care continuum. And if you think of the fact that 97% of the cost of healthcare before COVID, and now this has just accelerated it, um, has been chronic conditions, these are these play well into the needs for those kinds of experiences, so they're desperately trying to onboard more um, uh, more cloud-based uh, digital technology, but they ultimately have a responsibility for the safety of the patient and therefore the patient's data. So they have to be able to trust all the vendors they're working with, and they don't know how to do that if there's no evidence. Mm-hmm. And so this has created this kind of massive gap in the industry. Uh, that we said, okay, we're going to set about solving because we're going to focus on the one thing that these companies all have to do that they necessarily don't have the background to do.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, healthcare is such a beast too when it comes to like modernizing, right? Um, I, I first heard like that the main issues when um, I heard about like, this is back in the day, about EMS records, right? Like the mm-hmm. the idea of like, all the different equipment that hospitals might use or, uh, or like you know x-ray machines MRI machines they all of them, like you know spit out data in like different file formats sometimes completely unique sure. themselves and then you know there there's very little cross contamination like uh, sorry cross collaboration so you can't have a system like analyze multiple things at once because it's running different different file programs sometimes are proprietary and and that became like one of the one of the main things people are tackling and since then like the the health tech industry has kind of evolved right and more more collaboration more yeah interoperability, more integrations, right? So in, in terms of, um, you know, your particular problem that you solve with MedSec, the, the HIPAA compliance, right? can we, can we talk a little bit about that? Like what is HIPAA compliance and why is that so important? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, where it comes from is, uh, first of all, HIPAA compliance covers lots of different things, but it was not created for the digital industry. Mm-hmm. This is an important kind of consideration. So HIPAA was written before Google was created. Um, but what it said was, as an owner of a relationship with a patient, so a doctor's office, for example, you have a responsibility to uh, keep that data safe. Um, there's a couple of kind of origins for this thing. The first is that even the oath that physicians take when they get their license was amended in the 1960s to add the words "privacy" to it. We we promise and commit. To keep the privacy of our patients safe. Why? Because you want to engender trust. If you don't engender trust, then you can't deliver care because the patients aren't forthcoming with what's happening to them. Um, and the second is because healthcare is such a large societal problem. In the United States, in particular, the, uh, the delivery of, of the system of care, which is a, a private payer system, realized that there's a huge risk of things like insurance fraud and oh. so um nope. yeah sorry i, I, think you I lost, I lost yeah. you for a
1: second but we're good
0: okay good uh so uh so the, the the insurance providers in the u.s all got together and said we need to have a way of a standard of ensuring that the data is protected so that our commitments for supporting care are attributable back to the right person mm. in in the care continuum um, this then led to a kind of opposite problem, which is that if you can get health data, a health record is worth about 30 times that of a credit card on the black market. People don't think about this that much because it, we're all sort of so worried about the direct monetary impact of financial fraud so everybody knows data security and financial services we all talk about it right you know all these factors you need to log into your mobile bank account for example yeah. But actually, health data is much more sensitive. Uh, it's much more personal. Um, and it has a much deeper impact if it's compromised. And so um, the law was created to enable patients to have power over their data and to uh, enforce the industry to treat it with care. And then it was amended in about 2009 in an act called the High Tech Act, uh, which then empowered legislators to enforce it. So one thing not a lot of people know about hipaa is that the enforcement of hipaa is relatively new from the perspective of uh of cases that are brought for violations and the number of cases are going up every year and the fi- fines have been going up every year but the the issue isn't really the fines because multi-million dollars sounds scary mm. but multi-million dollars for a hospital is actually not that much it's more the reputation impact that happens as soon as they lose trust we lose the ability to deliver to deliver valuable care and this is why these organizations place such a high bar for the vendors they work with. And, and you know the simplified version of the experience is if you're building a digital health company, Ravi, so say a telemedicine company, and you want to sell it into um, an insurance provider, say for a benefit they might provide employers to allow their, their employees to, to get care virtually, uh, the innovation officer, that it, that insurance company, will be very excited by what you're doing. This is very innovative. It's You've put a lot of thought into this, we would like you to do it, but I'm not allowed to work with you until you satisfy my head of privacy who is in charge of the message that we're keeping people's data safe think of it almost kind of like a pr function but it, it's it's a business function within the organization and my head of security who sits in it who if there's ever a security breach i'm going to yell at them so they need to make sure they're satisfied mm. two completely different people and they will present to you this big long set of requirements that you need to be before we can do any commercial work together and absolutely before I allow any of my patients' data onto your platform, um, the reason for these audits is because HIPAA itself does not have a certification. This is the thing that makes it challenging. Actually, very few privacy laws do. Um, so then there's an audit that has to happen. You know, are you are you meeting the intent of HIPAA in the way that we actually see it? And there therein lies so much of the complexity in digital health.
1: Mm. Yeah. So. So HIPAA, right? Isn't that a more of a US uh, regulation? Is that is, there, is it actually a regulation, right? So it's, it's a law? Yes.
0: Right. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's a regulation in the US.
1: In Canada and we in Canada I think we have something like um, similar. It's
0: PHIPA, if I'm correct. Well, in Canada things are a little bit complicated. <clears throat> actually uniquely so. It's not just compared to the US. Canada has kind of a unique approach to healthcare in the world mm-hmm. actually because um, our, previ- our our healthcare delivery is legislated provincially. Health Canada, you know, similar to the FDA, has responsibility for designating what's safe uh, and sort of national standards for healthcare. But the operations of healthcare run uh, provincially. So PHIPAA, and I know it sounds like HIPAA, but actually they have nothing to do with each other in terms of an acronym, is an Ontario law. Uh, it actually only applies in Ontario. Okay. So here we are governed by two things. We're governed by a national general privacy law called uh, PIPEDA, Private Information Electronics Document Act. I'm missing a letter in there somewhere. Uh, and then um, the governance of our healthcare providers in each province. Uh, so BC has one, Manitoba has one, Ontario has one. Um, fortunately, what's really interesting from a digital health perspective, The reason you hear everybody talk about HIPAA compliance, even in Canada, is because HIPAA is considered to be kind of the gold standard of what you need to shoot for. Usually in most things, let's be honest, the US does not lead the world when it comes to data privacy and security, Mm -hmm. but they do in healthcare. Uh, Hmm. And they do in healthcare because it's it's energized by the private health insurance industry. So when we built MedStack, we're a Canadian company, Mm -hmm. but when we built MedStack, we actually looked at the US first and the reason we looked at the U.S. first is because HIPAA was much better known and, and it is heavily enforced. And we shot for that standard. And then we came back to Canada and we looked at PEPIDA across the country and we looked at the individual healthcare privacy laws in each province. And we realized that our attestations, what we call the proof points of how we're meeting HIPAA, actually work here as well. Mm. And they work in Australia and they work in Latin America and the Middle East and in Western Europe under GDPR and, uh, and things like that.
1: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Uh, that, that kind of lead up to my following question. It's like, you know, how does um, the, the different systems kind of work? The healthcare healthcare systems, right? Like we in Canada have a one payer system with the government as the stakeholder. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. has a multi stakeholder system with insurance providers and private uh, and private payments, right? Um, so one would assume with the government, a lot more regulation a lot more red tape. Things move a little slower, but at least as a one payer system, it's one set of standards across wide. Right. Does that um, do you see like a like a major difference between a uh, health tech companies operating here versus in the States, uh, What which is more complicated, what's more easier to implement?
0: You know, it's really funny. Um, in the early days of our company, we went to a accelerator program in the US and we got some really interesting feedback. People down there said, oh, digital health must be so easy in Canada. <laughs> and I'm like, why do you think it's easy? They said, because you have one customer, you just sell to them. And I'm like, yeah, but the customer is the federal government, you know, or in the provincial government. That's not easy Mm -hmm. because every money that's spent on digital health is is under the scrutiny of the public. Mm. Uh, That 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 may also be asking, okay, that's interesting, but you know, what about ensuring that our hardworking nurses are paid well enough? What about ensuring that we have enough capacity in the hospitals, or any number of other things? The point is, there's lots of opinions where to spend the money. The other factor, of course, is that in a private pay system, there is competition for innovation. Uh, so the different healthcare providers in the U.S., <clears throat> they, they fight tooth and nail to get the best technology. It's still really hard. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Onboarding digital health is really difficult. Um, but when they find things that work, they they do tend to share it, which is a really interesting thing I'd learned and didn't expect. Um, down there. So, commercialization of digital health has traditionally been very difficult in Canada. However, there are things that are happening here I'm really excited about that I think are going to change that. Uh, probably one initiative that I'm really excited about is is uh, the Can Health Network. The Can Health Network is a network of hospitals across the country that are partnering with each other. To standardize the process by which they onboard digital and health innovation, and um, they're partnering with the government under the innovation budget to support these things, as opposed mm-hmm. to traditionally the healthcare budget. Uh, it's pretty early in its implementation, um, but there are some pretty interesting things happening uh, that um, uh, that I think are going to unlock a lot of potential in this country. There's some great digital health companies here. Most of them are looking for commercialization in the US and Canada, if not the US itself, but typically both simply because traditionally getting commercial uh, implementation has been a little bit easier um, down there <coughs> because of the more advanced thinking towards uh, towards innovation budget. But I think things are gonna change here too.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I'm just getting a notification here. So I actually lost video to you. Um, f- I guess we're having some bad back connection you know, issues, but we're still recording, I, yeah. um, so I I think we're so good to go. Yeah, be I've little... been,
0: yeah, I've been having a little bit of uh, a little bit of trouble today, and I thought it was my machine, uh, but I rebooted it, and it looks like it's still happening. And, and it's really just been today.
1: Yeah, my, must must. Oh, there we go. We're back. Okay, I got you back here. Yeah. So sorry, we got a little cut off there, but. Um... I'm going, getting back into this, this, uh, the, the the cross Canada network. He said it's a, it's a mm-hmm. Can network.
0: Yeah, the can health network. can health network. So the Can Health Network is a is a network of hospitals that are working together to standardize the process by which they onboard mm-hmm. uh, digital health innovation. Um, and I think it's gonna I think it's gonna do really really great things uh, for for how the way that uh, that that we're accelerating healthcare innovation. In
1: this yeah, country. I mean, COVID especially has been like a catalyst for all industries, especially healthcare. Um, What are the what are the movements you're seeing that's uh, that's interesting in your perspective in healthcare and the digitization catalyzed by the pandemic? Uh,
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very timely discussion, right? Um, One of the things that's really interesting and and I was just uh, doing a bit of reading on this uh, right before our call is most of the things that are accelerating because of or I should say since March of 2020. Are not things that were created because of COVID. They were actually innovations that were already in work, mm. whether that's you know remote home monitoring or telemedicine or home care or um, you know tech-enabled wellness, um, family-based care, digital family-based care, etc. These were all ideas that have been around for a while because they're the better way to deliver healthcare. What happened was with the pandemic. Healthcare was hit by the same social distancing rules as every other industry. Mm. You could not have a bunch of people in a place together in the way that you could before. But the need for healthcare is not going away. And so the attention was turned to these things that were that were being built anyway uh, to accelerate them. And, and, you know, I mean, for us, our case in point was one of our largest customers did a 10x expansion in, in one month Jeez. Uh, because it's so much demand for what they were doing. There were legislative changes both here and in the US that helped this happen as well. Uh, namely that things that were again were in work already got accelerated because mm-hmm. they were important. So stuff like billing codes for telemedicine. So now healthcare providers knew how to be properly compensated whether in the single or multi-payer system uh, for delivering virtual care. Uh, and uh, some, of the, some of the processes were rejigged around the selection of tools for this kind of thing so that there was more freedom to uh, to to find the tools necessary to continue the delivery of uh, the delivery of care. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just actually listening this morning to an interview with the the acting and, and hopefully I, I think soon to be confirmed uh, new chair of the FCC. And she was saying, you know, there's a number of things that are her priority and one of her priority is, is digital healthcare. care. Um, uh, because this has now become a center of topic in the telecommunications industry overall, which I mm-hmm. thought was really, really fascinating and not surprising for those of us who work in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, the question that everybody's asking is what happens when life goes you know, back to normal? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we're going to go back to a world where we're all sitting crowded in, a, in an emergency room waiting for an appointment with a doctor. Uh, or in a waiting room of a family physician um, to the degree we were before. Some things will will never be fully virtual. Some things require hands on patient, uh, but many things do not. And um, and I think in the case of the example you started the call with, even things like dentistry can be more virtual than they were before. Um, Yeah, which which I'm finding really fascinating is this whole idea of not just tele telehealth or virtual care, but virtual care in verticals. we just uh, at MedStack, we just signed on a new cu- a customer that is providing a mobile optometry clinic. So it's like like an optometry clinic in a van, which um, which is, a, which is a really really fascinating idea. Working with companies in the parking lot of the companies, and um, and then using digital tools to help people, you know, get glasses essentially. Uh, but there's a lot of that kind of thing that's that's being taken. So it's it's bringing more convenience to. An experience we've been living with for years, because now we're forced to bring more convenience to it, but it's always been the right way of doing things. And uh, and I think um, I think it's gonna make lives better for, for payers and providers and upturn the industry and force some frankly difficult conversations around recognition of value and compensation and a few other things that, that have had to happen anyway.
1: Yeah, so speaking of the FCC, um, I was listening to also a podcast uh, with uh, with uh, the acting head of the FCC, uh, I think it's Jessica War Rorison. Um, mm-hmm. So, really interesting and and uh, I hear about her like about their initiatives, right? So, one of the core concerns is that now that healthcare is being digitized and everyone's going to force it, especially do this, you know, dentistry, um, talking to mm-hmm. family doctor, it's all virtual. The problem is bandwidth. Right, bandwidth is not yeah. dem- democratic. Like most people are still dealing with uh, very low bandwidth issues. Some people have, have a lot of mm-hmm. broadband. Rural areas are completely being left behind, right? Yeah. Um, what's what is the state of, uh, of like uh, the state of of uh, being for um, uh, the, for for uh, the for the industry for um, life science industry? Sorry, the health tech industry.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good question. I, I think oh. anybody beyond even healthcare. Yeah. Anybody who's working in digital transformation, oh. you still got me, Ravi?
1: Yeah, we, we, we cut a little bit there, but we're good.
0: All right. Anybody who's working in digital transformation um, has to constantly consider the fact that their use case is at least in part governed by the availability of access to the digital experience, and and I think there's two really important things that that come out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, The first is the natural economic digital divide. So if your platform requires advanced technology that not everybody has, um, how do you uh, how do you how do you address that? Uh, I I was talking to a brand new company actually a week ago who is um, uh, who is doing sort of tele tele diagnosis and they're using some of the advanced sensors in the brand new iphone for this and their question to me was you know what does this mean and i said well you need to consider the fact that there's going to be an economic definition of who's got this device mm-hmm. uh you know so they're using the lidar sensor in the iphone 12 to do this and and you know that's fine that's there's nothing wrong with that as long as you recognize it um but i think uh i think initiatives that are you know that are legislatively dri- driven both here and in the u.s around ensuring democratization to access to, to broadband uh, um, and the devices to use them will help with this kind of thing. I would say probably the biggest driver of that has actually been education. Yeah. Um, you know, kids got to go to school and if they can't go to school, they can't skip school because they don't have uh, proper proper bandwidth. But the same is going to be true for for telemedicine as well. Um, and not just in terms of bandwidth, but in terms of experience. So, you know, um, one question that comes up a lot is what happens if the if the digital health experience is so complicated that somebody who's not a digital native struggles with it. And uh, even here, you know, we we're we're supporting um, we're supporting virtual care for for my parents and I have to provide it troubleshooting for them. This is Mm -hmm. something that I think people who are designing these solutions have to think about. The good news is that we shouldn't think about this from the perspective of the baseline of what we know, because so much of healthcare, the early versions of digital healthcare have been terrible from a UX experience perspective. Mm. Those coming into digital health, especially in the entrepreneurship side are coming from perspectives of other industries where user experience plays an important role in this kind of thing. So I'm, I, you know there, there's stuff we all got to be aware of but i'm optimistic about it uh the other new topic that is you know maybe a little bit more obscure but mm-hmm. very important um that's coming up is the more digital ho- tools we're building the more we're bringing in advanced um advanced algorithms into the way our our solutions are being built machine mm-hmm. learning uh, machine intelligence etc and when you start dealing with the data points in your algorithms being trained through aspects of humanity, you have to start being really, really careful about bias in your data. Yeah, uh, And this is something that's absolutely true because of the natural socioeconomic factors that drive the fact that some of the digital divide may actually fall in the same lines as Physiological differences, whether it's you know race or age or or, or uh, ability or what have you, mm. um, and uh, I, I actually have met in my journey a few activists, social activists, who are pursuing, um, especially some of the bigger tech companies, in making sure that as they build algorithms for things like digital health, that they remember that they have to put input into the training of those algorithms from a proper population base, and I think that's really important.
1: Yeah. Um, Anderson Horowitz um, the, um, the 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 major investment fund uh, they ha- they've been producing a lot of content about this about data data privacy mm-hmm. data like uh, what what to do with data and one of the one of the key points they made was like the change the paradigm shift right now and how companies organize and store data so the previously the the model was like they call the, the, I think the model is called um, uh, a da- data lake which is companies just take data and just pour it into into a server and just and just keep like a pool of it to be done with later on and that's dangerous because it's a whole bunch of stuff is there but also things get buried so usability gets, gets lost. Then after that came like data warehousing which is before data gets stored away you first like you know treat it and you, and, and you make sure it's stored away and, and you need to compile components for later use. Problem with that it gets expensive and then sometimes you're just cataloging things that you don't even need. So the new paradigm yep. is like something called a data data lakehouse which uh, interesting, an interesting analogy, but the idea is that you use the data as it comes in and store it as it comes in. Like, so it's like a more dynamic shift. I think technology has been allowed to do that. But I, I guess the question is, like what you said earlier, like data, like especially healthcare data being so valuable and so personal, right? How do we ensure uh, better protections? You know, we, we saw Equifax get hacked. We, you know, we, you know, we, we have these, uh, you know, uh, big institutions that you think you know, have how the best, most stringent uh, security measures go down, right? So, anytime there's anything electronic involved, you know, there's attackers involved, there's security concerns to be involved. Um, do you have any uh, insights into how do we better protect ourselves?
0: Yeah, I mean, the first thing to think about, and and we talk about this stuff all the time. I mean, my team is comprised of uh, a bunch of people who live, breathe, and and sleep security. Yeah um the security community will tell you that there's no such thing as unhackable Mm. anywhere there is no such thing as unhackable there's such a thing as less likely to be hacked certainly um but uh generally um you know the the security paradigm is made up of of three components and and these components themselves are made up of both digital and non-digital elements but the components are you know, protection to ensure that it's difficult to get, to get in where you're not supposed to get in, monitoring so that you know when something untoward has happened in a timely fashion, and a remediation plan so that you can act on it when it does happen. Um, these are actually components that make up the core of what MedStack is mm-hmm. and the things that we put in place for digital health companies as they're using our, our, our infrastructure software. Um, I think uh, some of the hesitation we've seen initially has been, um, as you move things more digital, is there a larger privacy risk? Uh, And and the answer is, depends on your perspective. But if you're moving data from within an institution's own walls to a place that is in the business of data. So a hospital is not in the business of data. AWS is in the business of data, to use a very simplified kind of view of the world, Um, then you can take over from a platform lens, you can take advantage of the constantly iterating and improving posture around management of those three things that somebody who's in the business of data is doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's a little bit of, you know, the willingness to trust the systems that are Um, that are in place. Uh, Yes, you know, we have these breaches and we have these hacks. Um, They just get a lot more attention because of the fact that there's emotion around this moving to, to digital. But to be honest, the majority of the sort of industry level privacy and security violations that are happening in healthcare are happening from people misacting within the healthcare institutions themselves. Often inadvertently, sometimes maliciously, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually look at it the other way around is that I think the move to digital should assure us of higher, higher security and more personal control because digital makes it easier for me to, to own my data um, than it's sitting in a filing cabinet that's locked with a key that I don't own,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you with know, um, kind of how things operate today. In in healthcare. this whole idea of like you own your healthcare data and you can choose where it goes and where it doesn't go is really hard to do when the data is not digital. Um, uh, so, you know, I mean, maybe I'm being a little bit overly optimistic considering what I do for a living, but uh, but I think I think, you know, we're heading in, in better places. These stories are, are very unfortunate, whether it's in Aquifax, uh, Life Labs, Target, you know, yep. the list goes on. Um, but every single day, there's um, there's something we learn about how to do things better that then the entire industry can apply to apply instantly, and uh, and then provide uh, an up-leveling for, for everybody that yeah. you are servicing.
1: Well, wh- what do you th- what are your thoughts about like data brokerages, which actively sell data? You know, it, it's been a long uh, long-standing history this, uh, of this industry. You know, it's 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 been around for a long time um and uh but like now the scope of data being available and the ease of like consolidating uh data from different points is just there you know um we, we we are like we see these new uh brokerages that are able to consolidate data from like multiple data sets your health data right your your payments data you know your you know your search history they can pull this over and you know google does this of course at, at a different level But uh, what happens when, like, as a private market can, you know, easily obtain um, uh, data? Like, is there any regulations coming for that? Is there uh, any kind of standards? Uh, What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, uh, it's a a great question. A very specific one. It it actually bleeds into a conversation I often have with with our customers and prospective customers. So you get this frequent statement that says You know i don't need to worry about compliance Mm -hmm. as a digital founder because um my data is anonymized that's like we get this all the time the data is anonymized so we don't have anything to worry about but that's the problem brokerages are the problem is that if i get an anonymous piece of data and there's something in there that helps me discern a conclusion by aggregating it with other data that didn't come from you but came from somebody else I can start to piece together a profile of that person without too much difficulty. Mm. Uh, which is why, in, in lieu of like a certification, certifications do exist, but a certif- in lieu of a certification for HIPAA, the general attitude of the industry is I, I kind of don't trust you to not know what you don't know. So you just better make sure you're compliant anyway. Mm. Um, and, and we. And and this is why we kind of position Medstack as less of sort of a legislative protection play, although that is part of it, and more of a industry enabler, you know, because you're going to get the question no matter what because of these kinds of things. Um the where the data goes and how it gets aggregated with other things is explicitly protected by the privacy and security laws. So you can't take my data and add anything else to it unless I give you explicit consent to do so. Yeah. And I know how you're going to do it. Um, but people have been you know, skirting the rules. And ultimately, one of the things that we say is, as an industry, we can put all of the protections in place that we need to here. But because at the end of the day, the, the patient still has the right for their data to go anywhere, they need to be educated in how it's being used. And this was the whole scandal around companies like 23 and Me, mm. right so they were they're they're fine they didn't do anything that was really in violation of their fine print but the fine print said you send us the dna swab and we're going to add it to our database and we can do some neat things with it um and and so the answer is like you know be be sure you know what's actually happening with the data especially the um the health data and the best companies in the world are the ones that not only take privacy and security seriously but make it part of their messaging and part of their marketing. You know, you need to have a big splash page in your website that says, you want to understand how we do pro- policy uh, uh, privacy, click here. And then this, this actually just dovetails into another sort of ancillary statement I want to make about this industry that we hang our hats on. This industry is unnecessarily complex, unnecessarily complex, because when you're talking about privacy, you're talking about privacy laws and you know, not to stereotype, but when you talk about lawyers, you talk about lots of words. And and so the typical kind of privacy laws are very long-winded, extremely complicated and very hard for anybody to read, which is why it's difficult to use them to empower a consumer. We're trying to take a different approach. So the policies that are built into the MedStack platform to then apply to all of our customers using our platform are written deliberately in plain English um, so that anybody can read them because we're encouraging our customers to put them forward and say, here are the kind of commitments we're making for, for our users. Um, so they can make decisions around, uh, around data aggregation. Um, this has become even more important because of uh, this whole kind of, uh, the term I've used is uh, algorithms of amplification. This whole idea of companies whose users are people, but whose customers are not people. And their people, Mm -hmm. their customers are organizations that want those people's data. I think we all know who I'm talking about. And so therefore, there's a confluence of motivations that happens that says, I'm going to do as much as possible to provide as rich a data set as I can so that people will pay me more money for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And because we live in that world and it's not just one company, I don't want to pick on one. There's several in this space who do this stuff. Um, we're, we're now in a place where you got to be even more careful about knowing where your data goes, and uh, and and how it's used. There's going to be there's a reckoning already happening, yep. right? Uh, um, and then companies who don't have those kinds of business models are making it now part of their pitch. I mean, privacy is now deep into Apple's marketing, um, and uh, and then that the notion of you know winning winning by aggregating data outside of the control of the people who own the data uh, might be a business model that we see eventually go away. Yeah. I hope.
1: Yeah. Um, can you can you walk us through uh, through your platform a little bit? So a mm-hmm. platform company like uh, Medstack, um, you know, your clients are other technology platforms that want to use your security layer to make sure they're compliant. But can you walk us through what that means? Like, Is it a line of code sure. that you applied to the co- code base? What does it exactly do?
0: yeah for sure there are uh three components to the med stack experience or the med stack technology uh technology framework if you will um the first is what we call a set of attestations that's the term that we use and the core of this thing is actually a database of answers and and these are answers to questions like Hey Ravi, how are you doing encryption? Hey, how are you backing up your data? Hey, you know, what's your protocol if there's uh, if there's a, a security incident, for example? And we've built this up over several years mm-hmm. um, and it's pretty rich. What's powering that database then is a set of code that ties each kind of set of attestations to a, a line item in the regulations. And we look at things like ISO 27001 SOC2, HIPAA, PIPIDA, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and then those are then represented by a set of policies. So the policies are you know written in policy language, but as I said, written in plain English. They're documents that are powered by a database uh, underneath that we can then use to audit that those things are actually in place. Um, and this is what we deliver to our customers. So when they come to MedStack, they, they have access to the policies, the policies become theirs. Um, If you look at the HIPAA security rule, 67% of the HIPAA security rule is completely automated by MedStack and it's built into the policies that they inherit from us Mm. by using our platform. There's a bunch more that require everybody to comply, them and us. We've done our bit, we give it to them, they add their bit on top. Uh, And the remaining bits are are things that are specific to them, like how they train their employees and things like that, for example. Um, Then the way the answer library plays in is if they get an inquiry from a health system such as a questionnaire, or they work with an auditor to help them get a SOC2 or, or high trust certification, then we can deliver the evidence. We have an evidence generation system that pulls our library, looks at our infrastructure, and delivers evidence uh, to to that organization to prove that this company is compliant. Uh, we've done this with a whole series of top-tier payers and providers. In, uh, in the US and Canada, and you know, we're now getting probably a two, two a week in terms of new inquiries. And so these are the things that protect our customers. Now, how do they use it? This is the third piece of our platform. So the first piece is the library, the second piece is the policies, and the third piece is the developer experience.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so for all these things to be true, you as a digital health company have to be using our infrastructure, which is a layer that sits between your application and the underlying major cloud provider. And so you go into our platform and through an interface, and now an API, which we've got in, in beta at the moment, um, you can specify that your app requires this stack. We don't need you to learn anything new. There's no API you gotta build into your code. There's no vendor lock-in. All we're saying is if you're building on open source technologies, PHP, Mongo, uh, sorry, PHP, Node.js, Python, Ruby, etc., cetera, uh, with, Postgres or MySQL as a database, not to get too technical, but these are kind of standard developer things, and using container support, which is also kind of the way the entire software development industry is going, then you can specify the specifics of what your app needs in the MedStack platform, and our system will then build those components, add all the security, encryption at rest and in transit, backups, audit logging, network security, port control, certificate management, monitoring, And we build it in a very specific way. We lock it down so you can't change any of it. Mm. So it's not a recommendation. It's not a scanning of what you've done. It's not an evaluation. It's built into the platform. So we can actually maintain it outside of your app code when the regulations change, when more security technology becomes available. And every time we change it, it updates all of our policies that apply to you instantly. All you need to do is use our platform to to specify what you need, tie your code repository, deploy, and away you go. Uh, and then we run the infrastructure for you. So our team is actually monitoring and man- managing it on your behalf. Um, and that's that's basically the way the MedStar platform works.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I love this framework for development now, like, you know, platforms like like yourself, like it, it lowers a barrier of entry for new uh, companies coming in. That's the idea. Well, same time, making sure there's like a level of uh, a level of consistency between all companies. Right so just cuz a company is underfunded or doing something like you know they they might have like the, not the proper like uh, technology infrastructure or security infrastructure they're not like you know like uh, putting their end customers at risk right so th- th- that's mm-hmm. pretty cool um l- l- can we talk a little bit about the challenges of building a company like this um for yourself as a founder uh, how what does that look like
0: difficult <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i mean there's a lot of things that we do that are that are amusingly counterintuitive Mm -hmm. right so you know if you look at MedStack, we are a uh back-end infrastructure company you know we're not a consumer experience company or or an experiential guiding company we are an enablement company Um, secondly we are like a lot of companies of that definition those who started um we're targeting small co- companies as our initial target. And finally, we're in an industry like healthcare. So any one of those things makes people really nervous. And we're doing all three of them at the same time. Yeah. And we did a major technology pivot in the middle of our, of our history thus far. Um, but I wouldn't change any of it. It's uh, entrepreneurship has a responsibility to solve the world's hardest problems. And there are few problems more difficult, then modernizing healthcare and ensuring people have trust uh, and, uh, and and ownership and security of their data. Um, so these are the things that, that matter to us. We have to constantly deal with the two sides of our proposition. So the commitment on compliance and uh, uh, and, and privacy, privacy and security attestations on one side, while also ensuring that the developers who they just got hands on keyboard, they just want to deploy a server, they can actually do so both of those are constantly under review and we're constantly trying to find ways to make them better. Uh, and we're, we're learning with each customer that we, we bring on board, whether they're you know, um, a couple of students in an accelerator, uh, a couple of experienced healthcare providers who don't have a technical background and might be farming out their development to a shop or to a larger enterprise who's the scaling product. Um, we've actually just recently onboarded a company that's actually fairly established. They've been around for a long time but their product was entirely non-cloud based. And so they're moving to the cloud on MedStack. Um, And each one of these experiences uh, teaches us us something new. We've had to learn a lot and make a bunch of changes with respect to how we work with our customers, how we balance those motivations against each other, advancing our compliance proposition with our certifications, for example, advancing our developer experience with uh, the launch of our API and, and some other things we've got kind of coming down the road. Um, while at the same time thinking about the kind of relationship these companies want to have with us. What's the right business model? How do we price it in the right way that value is recognized at our place in the ecosystem in the right way? Um, Fortunately, there's some precedent. I mean, we look at other organizations that have solved a similar problem, which is for a technology innovation company, there's something that they want to do because they're good at and there's something they have to do. And if they don't do that, have to do, they can't do the rest of the want to do. Yeah. Who are those companies? Stripe, Okta, AWS when they first started, DigitalOcean, Heroku. Um, how did they all deal with these kinds of things? And there's stuff that, that we're learning from them that we're trying to bring in and, and implement in that stack.
1: Yeah, sorry, that, that we got, we've got another pause. Um, yeah, you got to cut off at the end there, but I got that just what you're saying. So, well, my question is, um, you know, in the beginning, you mentioned like, you know, you start off your career in a different, at a, at a different capacity, working in a different industry and switched over, mm-hmm. right? As a founder in this industry, um, in, in a novel industry, what was the, like, I guess, the growing pains of learning things? What did you have to learn that, you, did, uh, you, that uh, you didn't know that you needed to know?
0: Well, the very first thing is I, Was aware I didn't know everything Mm -hmm. Uh, when I first started, you know, I kind of came in and I said, I understand a little bit about how platforms work because I've done that kind of thing before. Mm -hmm. I am not a developer or experienced developer and certainly not an experienced back end developer, but I've spent a lot of time around developers and I kind of understand how they think. I've done a bunch of work uh, mentoring startups, so I sort of understand a little bit about the entrepreneurship journey. and uh, I said, okay, that's where that's that's what I know. There's a lot of things I don't know, and I've always found, in any capacity, whether you're dealing with employees or colleagues or customers or what what have you, it's best to just be upfront. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's what I can. Here's what I have. Here's what I can learn from you. Um, and we're very very frank about the fact that we learn from every one of our customers. You know, uh, my. Uh, our, our director of sales, uh, Jacob, is somebody that I have learned from every single day, and he's just really militant about the fact that when you meet a customer, first thing you do is you let them talk, tell, learn their story, find out where they are in their journey, what kinds of things are they worried about, um, and, uh, and we'll always learn more uh, in each, each one of those things. So, uh, I've done a bunch of things in my career, you know, I've been working for a long time. But the past uh you know six years and especially the past two years i've learned more than i ever have in my entire career put together this has been a crazy journey and there's a bunch more that i'm still learning there's a lot i still don't know um uh, but uh this industry itself is learning mm-hmm. so i feel like i'm on pace with it um, and the really interesting thing about digital health specifically that i've learned is that it's the meeting of two forces. So you've got a lot of people who've been in healthcare for a long time who say, we really should do things a little bit differently, but they have a few perhaps preconceived notions based on what's possible, what isn't possible because the industry is so heavily regulated. And then you have this opposing force of people coming from outside of healthcare, from tech, uh, who say every other industry works this way. I don't understand why healthcare doesn't work this way. Like think of, think of an analogy right mm. when we moved from bank tellers to mobile banking apps that was a huge coup like nobody ever thought this was going to work you, you why you need to sign the check at the at the podium with the with the teller but now i mean just 10 minutes ago i i took my camera and i scanned i scanned something from my bank account yep. that's exactly the same thing as a doctor's office versus a telemedicine visit so we just have to get there. And uh, and and it's a fair question to go, why don't these things actually exist? But they don't have necessarily the background understanding of the complexities of healthcare, of the sensitivity of the data, of the necessity of regulation, of the roles and responsibilities in the care continuum. So when they collaborate together openly, really magical things happen. And, and the best companies are those that bring both of those uh, both those things together and, and uh, there's some really exciting stuff that's happening um, at that at that intersection
1: yeah i mean i think you 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 place that perfectly right i mean the the, the convergence of multiple industries and skill sets coming together to modernize existing infrastructure with the within the catalyst of the pandemic right i think we're we're seeing some beautiful transformations um you know going back to that i i, I tie into an older question but now, what's the most exciting changes you're seeing right now? Any companies that you're working with or using a platform that really stand out? What's your hopes for the future?
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, I, without naming too many companies sort of directly, but there's a field in digital health that I'm really excited about. Um, there's things that have to happen to really make it accelerate further than it than it has thus far. But I, it it really it really intrigues me, and it dates back to one of the reasons we created this company. So the question to ask is: if somebody is suffering from a condition, and that condition can be treated through medication, or through some kind of an assistive device, or through therapy, uh, or, or you know therapeutic practice, all of those things are things that are prescribed and the prescription of them is governed by a process Mm. and a particular uh, economic model underneath them in terms of how compensation actually happens why can people not be prescribed an app and so this is I, i mean this is an idea that that i that's how i expressed the question seven years ago six seven years ago now i understand that it's actually an industry and i wasn't the only one thinking about it and this is the space of digital therapeutics um and I, I think we have a couple of DTX companies on our platform. I've, I've dipped my toes into the industry. It's still very new. Um, but there are some really, really cool things happening, uh, especially around proven modalities of care that are delivered for things like mental health uh, management, um, whether it's as simple as you know, meditative practice or immersive as a virtual reality type experience. Uh, we've got a really cool company on our platform right now called Helium. That is H uh, E A L I U uh, M. That's using VR for uh, for uh, story based mental health therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very fascinating company. Uh, and there's a few others we met in this space. I think this idea of technology that helps people self manage themselves through a care process, uh, which is almost the flip side of the coin of the other big trend to digital health, which is telemedicine. So I'm now virtually delivering care to you if I'm a practitioner, but then you also have tools to manage your care and manage your conditions on your own uh, is, is is really, really fascinating to me. And, and uh, I think it's going go to go into some really interesting places.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you said, uh, sorry, you said digital therapeutics. What, 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 what does that mean? What does that uh, what does it look like?
0: Digital therapeutic is an app that a patient uses on their own that is recommended to them by a care provider that helps them manage their, their condition.
1: Gotcha. OK, so uh, so based off of this trajectory, right? Like what do you think uh, like 10, 10, 20, 10, 20 years going to look like, right? Of digital transformations like spark by uh, spark by this movement right now. Right. What is the hope for the industry, the future, right, for banking? Know, we, we you know we have the you know banking the unbanked we have more ethereal systems where we don't have the, the heart like the actual infrastructure of banks you know it's, everything's more digitalized and and cost efficient yeah. what does that look like for for uh, healthcare uh,
0: I think there's the digitization of healthcare is going to cause a blurring between things that were traditionally considered to be very separate mm. uh, like the lines between on point, responsive care, preventative care, um, a, a, a care program or a therapy, um, and and wellness. I think all the lines are gonna be blurred because there'll be data underpinning them all. Yeah. And um, I think that's the really interesting thing that's impacting all of these industries is is how things that are personal and how things that are delivered and then how things are technology enabled all start to interconnect into like a seamless experience. So, you know, just the way that I live my life and the whole notion of quantified self and the things that are observing how I'm living my life will then trigger a combination of recommendations and things that I can do to prevent stuff, things that I specifically need to do because of conditions that I have and trigger an engagement with the healthcare industry and system when I need to. To get the care that i need i think that's where where things are things are going and the discontinuity that exists today between being at home and being in a hospital i think will start to blur um, a little bit i mean there's some people out there that go hey you know ai is going to replace doctors i i don't prescribe to that i don't think that's true Uh, however many industries of professionals have Traditionally, made their decisions based on precedent, and so we're now giving tools to help that happen faster and easier, so yeah. that they can focus on the more human aspects of the things that they do.
1: Going going back to AIs and doctors, um, two years ago, China did a did an experiment. Right, uh, they got like I think like 500 of their of their top uh, doctors uh, across the country, and uh, pitched them against a competition against an AI device. And what they what they're trying to solve is like you know one third of medical diagnoses diagnoses are incorrect, right? Um, so they wanted to yeah. put the five hundred of the top doctors the to, to top uh, physicians um, to diagnose uh, diagnoses versus an AI system. And what they found was that the AI system was able to outperform these doctors. And this is two three years ago, right? What does it look like when it, you know AI that can sort through data? converge with data collection devices like, you know, smartwatches and smart devices that can, you know, read our, you know, read more of our bodies than like we're, you know, consciously aware of and, and th- that coalesces. Right. Um, one of my favorite thinkers is uh, Yuval Herreri, the, the, the Jewish historian, the focus on uh, technology. And he talks about this is going to be a transformation for humanity where systems for the first time will know us better than we know ourselves or society knows itself.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, this is a question not just for healthcare, but in so many different arenas, right? Mm. It is where you can start to create these kinds of uh, uh, these kinds of uh, systems and mechanisms to manage your data in real time and uh, give you feedback. Um, I I think though, healthcare is unique because there's an element of humanity in healthcare. Um, that can't be ignored. That's mm-hmm. probably even bigger than it is in something like financial services.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and and I think um, those I know who work in healthcare, including some people very, very close to me as providers, nurses, researchers, physicians, therapists, etc. what really gets them up and moving in the morning and what gets them most excited is the intuition they have around you know, emotionally, what does the patient need, Mm. as well as the problem solving of multiple factors coming in to help them determine what is a likely course of action that is still at a level that I think is too complicated to be completely replaced by AI. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I can't see that happening for a really long time. But what slows them down is being able to access the data they need in a timely fashion to be able to make those decisions. Like how do we, there's a great quote I read somewhere that said that with the introduction of the electronic medical record, the quality of patient health documentation went up and the physician's perspective on the quality of care went down. And the reason is, is because now you got to spend all your time doing data entry. And that's the problem. I mean, it was necessary, right? They were trying to create the EMR to get rid of the notion of the paper records that didn't move with the patient, but the user experience got impacted by it. So that's where an opportunity of machine intelligence and and data fluidity can, I think, make a huge difference um, to allow the care provider to go back to focusing on, you know, the one-to-one interaction with the patient, which I think is so important.
1: yeah um, I think I think you got it right there like um, you know I, I think that is the movement forward right like machines replacing the IQ element uh, uh, that uh, the humans need but humans providing the EQ the emotional intelligence of dealing with other humans blended together are supercharged and uh, can perform better together than individually individually
0: yeah yeah and I don't think it, I don't think it's any industry where this like, out of the, these five legacy industries, I, I don't think anything it's as important as in any one of them as it is in healthcare.
1: Yeah, definitely. Balaji, this has been a, a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, your, your insights into, into the future of digital health, health has been uh, really insightful. And uh, thank you, everyone, who tuned in.